get yourself out of the house, mm-hmm. get some sunshine, get some exercise, stop worried about being in every single meeting. You're gonna burn yourself out. So it takes leadership to step forward like that. Put your kid in front of the camera, block the calendar, go work out, <laughs> you know, just empathize with this stuff and give them the encouragement to take control of things like that. Anyway, it's been good for us, I think. Welcome to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast, where founders and business leaders talk about how they built a company culture that is so incredible, their employees brag about it. Our show aims to inspire you as you build a Bragworthy culture of your own. Culture building is philosophical and practical, and you'll find both discussed here. Grab a pen and a notebook. We're about to drop some knowledge. This episode is brought to you by Fringe, the number one employee lifestyle and fringe benefits platform. With Fringe, you can empower employees with lifestyle benefits that can be personalized to reduce stress, give back time, and spark joy. Fringe, benefits for life. Contact us and find out more at fringe.us. Here's your host, Cassandra Rose. Welcome back to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast. I am your host, Cassandra Rose, head of people at Fringe, and I am ecstatic about the guest that we have today. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Cassandra. Looking forward to the conversation. So Dave, in addition to being the CEO and board of director at impact.com, you are also a father, a husband, an author, a podcaster. It seems like you wear a lot of hats. So tell me about your story. Just how did you get to be all these different things in one person? I don't want to go too far back, but I have to say one of the drivers, I think, of my career in laying a strong foundation was when I graduated college, I actually went into the military. And even before that, right out of high school, went into boot camp down in the training center in San Diego. So I've always had a strong work ethic myself, but there was just something about the military structure and experience. They invest a lot all throughout college in teaching you leadership. You come out of college and it's kind of this odd structure where, what are you, 21, 22, when you're out of college, all of a sudden you're managing a team of like 20 people who have been in the military, some of them 30, 40 years. And so they just throw you right into the fire. And I think you just learn a lot about people and just getting things done. Like how do you communicate a mission or a strategy and You've got accountability, you've got the process and everything to accomplish the mission. So I would say if I had to point one thing out, it was you know, just that experience, I think, and in my start to life was a pretty unique experience with the military. I was a lieutenant in the Navy. Oh, for sure. And I salute you. Thank you for your service. And I think that's always an admirable thing to be able mm-hmm. to participate in. So from that starting point, tell me how you got yeah, into... And so- if you were to like, what came next was the internet happened. <laughs> so it's like, you know, late 90s, you can imagine the craziness that was going on. then. I was in college, I was a computer science minor, I was a marketing major, computer science minor, just kind of a geek, figuring things out. It was more of a hobby, just understanding and learning about the internet, designed my graduate programs, first website, that sort of thing. Didn't really think that there was a real industry there. I was just passionate about the technology that was happening. So I don't know if you read that book, Blink, not the blah, blah, yes. but just talked about like the timing of Eric Schmidt, Steve Jobs, and not that I would ever compare myself to them, but like a lot of the message in that book is about the timing of things, right? Their generation and some of the technological points in evolution that happened right at the time that they were finding their careers. I think a lot of that was similar or comparable for me, at least in my own unique experience. As I'm coming out of college, internet's happening. I got in with an internet startup 
a few months before they went public, the whole market crashed. I mm. you know, kind of stayed out with my work ethic and everything I learned. Put my head down and focused on creating real value. So stock dropped, got some equity in the company, built some real value that blossomed. It took a number of years, but I just kind of kept that. Never kind of gave up, never got caught up in you know, what things could be. A lot of people felt that they were playing the lottery and it was all about winning the lottery. And for me, it was creating value and enjoying work and creating something. And so you know, I've been with a number of internet companies now. I'm a very loyal person, so I don't jump around companies like that first company. I'm buying, I was there for 11, 12 years. But it's always great to kind of look back and be proud of the teams that you worked with and the legacy that you're leaving in terms of just value that was created, jobs that were created, doing your part to help grow other businesses. I'd say that kind of sums up my career mostly. Yeah, I love that. And 12 years at a startup, I think, is a lifetime. So (laughs) you got to get through that. So fast forward to today, you're at impact.com. What led you to join this organization particularly? And what do they do? And how are you passionate around that effort? It's a great question. I think a lot of people should be purposeful. I think with companies that they join, for me, it was about staying what I call within network, meaning working with people that you maybe have had prior experience with or know a lot about. And so for me, I got exposure to the founding team at impact.com back in 2003. I was with a company that acquired the founder's first company. And we worked together for about a year back then. And then they, they went off in different directions. They got the band back together, 2008 timeframe, and started this business. So I wasn't part of the start of this business. I've been with impact.com for six years. But when I joined early 2017, they were at a point where they were definitely either across the chasm or getting close to crossing the chasm. I thought that I could complement that team really well with that next stage of growth. These were people that I knew well, and I greatly respected their focus on leading with product, leading with technology, not have a PowerPoint, which was kind of the 1.0 version of the web if you go back in the 90s, early 2000s. I think. You really need a solid product today to stand out. There needs to be like real value created with what you're selling for you to create a great business. So, you know, it's like I greatly respected the technology, the potential for more traction in the market. And these were people that I knew and I trusted and had great respect uh, for just with regards to leading with product and technology. So that's what kind of attracted me initially to the company. And I'd say to answer your question, what we're doing now, impact.com is what we call a partnership management platform. It's essentially helping brands and creators to discover each other, create and manage a partnership between each other to refer business generally. So think of a marketplace for partnerships, contracting, tracking, you know, where that source of truth, the attribution for who referred business. We handle reporting, optimization, mm-hmm. and also payment processing from brands to creators. And it's also used for other types of referral partnerships, such as with large commerce content publishers with traditional affiliates, partnerships with other businesses. And we're at scale. Like We're working with over 2,500 brands today. It's across all verticals. So think of brands like eBay, Uber, Airbnb, Garden Express, Shopify, Glossier, Levi's. I can keep going. We're also the technology behind Walmart's new creator portal. It was just announced oh, a few months ago. That was a pretty major announcement. Uh, but all in, just to give you a sense of scale, we're managing about $30 billion a year in sales for our clients that are derived from their partnership referrals. We're managing more than $3 billion in payment processing, payments from brands that go out to their partners that are referring them business. And as we get into the chat today about people and culture, we're about 1,000 employees strong now in over 20 major locations around the world. So your story is a success story, which I love. 
And it sounds like it comes down not just to the ingenuity of what you're doing, but also the people that you have. So tell Mm -hmm. us about how many people did you have when you first joined? You -hmm. said that you have a thousand now. And how do you Mm -hmm. continue to maintain a culture that encourages people to be completely passionate about showing up every day Mm -hmm. and moving the marker? Well, when I officially joined February 2017, but technically I've been working with the founder of Bear Patterson for a number of months prior to that. At that time, it was 200 employees roughly. So today we're a thousand. So 800 net new. You can imagine a lot of people came and went yep. you know, over the last six years, but that's a thousand people. And actually more interesting in 2020, when COVID first hit, we pumped the brakes on hiring, but I remember us being 500 employees in 2020. So we've actually doubled the size of the company just in two years. And you can imagine just the dynamics of like shifting to merely a remote sort of culture. And I know I'm expecting at some point we'll get into a conversation about some of those dynamics, but interesting time to like double your staff. Everyone's just kind of learning how to deal with being primarily a remote sort of operation during a pandemic. But to your question, and it's related to what I just mentioned, you know, talking about the unique time over the last few years, how do we manage the culture and productivity, especially during Mm -hmm. such a unique time like that? Just interesting story about how we were operating prior to the pandemic. Every week, I would encourage our local offices. At that time, we were like 10 offices around the world right for the pandemic hit through 2019. I'd prepare notes every week and make sure that the, whether it was a formal or informal leader in that office, I think of London, think of Sydney, New York, you know, we're in Santa Barbara, Seattle. So we had all these different locations and there was always an informal leader. And it was primarily in an office culture, like a lot of companies back then. Once a week, we'd bring lunch in, people would kind of gather for just kind of a quick stand-up, a little bit of an update on the business, kind of the weekly stand-up. And I'd prepare notes and then they would have their own local notes, but it was just kind of a check-in brief on just activities. But we did it in a very distributed format and it was all locally. And, and the Santa Barbara meeting where most of the senior folks were always had a better experience because I was there a lot of times, our CTO was there. And so I never thought about it at the time, but the experience from an employee standpoint, you had to assume was much better in Santa Barbara because they were hearing directly from me and other Senior leaders right. tended to be primarily there. And then the offices where you know, senior leadership wasn't as present didn't get the same quality, if you will. Inconsistent messaging. Pandemic hits. Mm-hmm. And we made a snap decision to, instead of doing these local distributed meetings, we would get everybody on Zoom and have a weekly stand-up together, everybody all at once. It's kind of an interesting concept, but it made sense considering our prior culture. And it just mm-hmm. turned out to be an amazing communication structure for us. And so we just kind of started and then people find out about it. And then now what it's built up to is every week we have a meeting. It's Thursday morning, Pacific time, mostly based on the West Coast, 9 a.m. That seems to be the best time zone that works. The only time that it doesn't work for is APAC. They listen to the on-demand recorded version of it and their leadership gets together. They all watch it live together and they'll prepare videos for content sometimes. So it almost seems like they're participating in the call as well. But it's a meeting that lasts generally 45 minutes. And we just want run through the weekly activities across the business. And we're talking about new product launches. We'll do like a quick demo. And everything that we do, it could be like the top one of the week, top of the leaderboard. It could be some great customer success story. And there's someone giving the field report about how they overcame a difficult customer situation. We're always shining the spotlight on anniversaries, but there's always like one person that will shine the spotlight on. And kind of tell their story and get their manager to kind of talk about why they're great. And so it's a very structured conversation. I almost feel like I'm a professional YouTuber because I'm mostly <laughs> facilitating it. But I also want to build resilience and scale for this company. Anybody can step into this meeting and be a facilitator. So we 
basically will always be run by management because they're the best to kind of help reinforce culture. So we've got our mm-hmm. operating principles, which we'll probably talk about, like focusing on the customer and how we build teams and operate with a sense of urgency to get stuff done. And we're weaving in points about our culture, about our values, the behaviors that we want to see day in, day out as people are talking about updates to the business. So if I had to point to like one thing that we did immediately and got right and bringing people together and really keep a bond, a real tie-in, and I don't care where you were, this is the silver lining in all this. I talked about the Santa Barbara in-person stand-up and the quality of that. And then we have a, a large office actually is in Cape Town, South Africa. We never really felt that they were at the same table as their global peers, right? They're the kind of second-class citizen, if you will. They weren't close to the senior team. Now, all of a sudden, everybody's on the same level. Everybody is on the same Zoom, hearing the same Mm -hmm. message from leadership. They're hearing updates. They're part of the updates. So an incredible inclusion sort of strategy, I think, for the company to just level the playing field and treat everyone kind of equal on the same page. It's done an amazing job, like tying the company together, I think. On average, it's about 10 speakers. So I'm not the only one speaking. We're getting updates from different leaders or it could be a salesperson giving their field report, a customer success person. It could be a support person giving their report. It could be a manager talking about the spotlight on an anniversary. It's just been a great communication platform and a way to kind of tie everybody together. And we've continued it. It's like the one meeting that everybody looks forward to, just checking out activities of the business. And then quarterly, we do a very similar meeting. It lasts an hour and a half to two hours. It's not about just the activities that happen in the week. It's the health of the business as we close the quarter. So like the public company would do their earnings call. It's a bit of our employee earnings call. It's like, okay, here's the financial health of the business, how we're performing against all of our financial metrics. We take planning very seriously. Planning meaning every uh, half, we have a two-quarter period. And this part of what we're doing here in New York here this week. We've got the senior team here just before break, getting together, talking about okay, what's our plan? What's our strategy for the next two quarters? And this is what most people know as OKRs, objectives and key results. We've broken the company into capabilities to promote more collaboration between departments. So most companies break themselves up into like sales, marketing, customer success, support, whatnot. We've kind of blown that structure up. And what we've done is we've forced, you know, basically departments or functions that relate to each other. We're expecting are going to plan the business together, like sales and marketing and our channel partnerships team, they all work together to determine a strategy and set a plan for the next two quarters. And they agree on financial targets and key objectives and key results that are going to get done over the next two quarters. And then we hold ourselves accountable as we move into operating mode, coming out of planning to get those things done. And then we report that to the company. So we've got, I think it's six, what we call capabilities. So it's a go-to-market team, a people excellence team. We talk about operating the business efficiently. So that's our finance and business applications team. We have a delight retaining row capability. So that's customer success. It's our onboarding team. So that'll give you kind of a sense on how we're organized. But you know, I think you know, we've got a great communication platform with the huddle, with the global rollout. We've got a great planning system. It's like our operating system for how we mm-hmm. plan, but then how we hold ourselves accountable. And then at the end of the half, we'll deep dive again, critically analyze what worked, what didn't, and then just update our strategy going forward. What I love about what you said is that you were able to equalize the ability for people to come into the conversation on a weekly basis. And this two-quarter planning also helps everyone to be able to get on the same page about where we're going as a company Mm -hmm. and then be accountable because you're reporting Mm -hmm. that back out of like, hey, your contributions have summed up into where Mm -hmm. we are today and where we want to go next. It makes me think, like, why didn't we do this global communication platform before COVID hit? Like, why did it take COVID? to require that. Like that was the only way that we were really going to be able to communicate effectively with our people. 
bring them all together in a format like that. So I would really just encourage anyone listening to your program. Like if you feel like that's too much, like meeting every week, really 500 people on Zoom live plus the rest watching on demand. It does seem like it's a lot to produce and it is. We have a full-time internal communications manager. Now for two years, it was just myself and my assistant would produce it every week and we just ran it. And then we finally staff a full-time person whose job is to manage internal communications. But it's worth it. I'm telling you, like people look forward to it. It's a way to tie everybody together. It is the modern way to work because there's no way we're going back to everyone in one location all day, every day, where you, you know, communication happens that way. Like this is the modern way of work. Like people are everywhere in the world, right? They're on different time right. zones. And they, you need a platform like that to tie people together. Totally agree. And I feel like that's a good pivot point to talk about how you drive inclusion at a broader level, because on your website, I noticed that you said, we believe in diversity, equity, inclusion, we believe in passion, and we believe in growth. And one of the things that you shared with me right before we started recording was around operating principles and how you use that as your North Star to continue to elevate and evolve your culture. So can you talk a little bit more about those operating principles? Operating principles for us, other companies might call them values or valued behaviors. Some people post them on their walls and say, this is what we believe in. May or may not be true. Every company has a version of how they talk about values, whether they're lived or it's aspirational. I would say that every company, no matter the size, has a culture. It does. It has a certain DNA. When I joined early 2017, the first thing I did, well, two weeks in, I pulled the senior team together offsite and took them through a series of exercises to really help everyone to kind of understand like who we are at the company. And I'm not going to go into all the details, but there is a way to uncover what is the culture that exists in the company. You ask certain questions. Hey, how would you describe the founders of the company? Think of you know the best boss or the best company that you've ever worked with in your life. How would you describe what made that company great? Pick the top three people in the company and just describe them. You know, like what makes them the top employee in the company? So there's different exercises that every company can kind of go through. And all of a sudden, it just becomes obvious like who we are as a company. Like one of the things that makes us great is that we focus on the customer. It's like one of our top operating principles, seeking to kind of understand and anticipate what their needs are, what their needs are going to be in the future. We talk to our customers. Like we get in front of them, we workshop, we solve problems, foster deep relationships with them. So the better that we're able to relate to our customers, we think the better that we can serve them in driving growth. So that's how we talk about just one operating principle. Another one that I think is super important is what we call building trust. In our world, teams win. And you hear it in the global huddle. Some organizations, it's all about the salesperson, how great the salesperson is that won this deal. In our company, that's not how a salesperson would give their field report. They're going to talk about the BDR in terms of like all the blueprinting and prospecting that it went to sourcing that opportunity, that first call, all the way through to the solutions architect that designed configuration that was going to make their implementation work, legal, the role that they played to kind of like unblock kind of the red lines to get this deal happen. Like it's a team, right? It's a village that basically makes this opportunity happen. So, you know, we really underscore the fact that we win as a team, that we're going to act with integrity, with humility. We want to be inclusive and follow through on our commitments. We want to be self-critical. Like we always want to constantly be learning. And so we want to have an open culture without fear of repercussion, like, like admit mistakes and things like that. Be comfortable mm-hmm. with failure. I talk about like the global rollout that we do every quarter. We're very transparent with our financials, health of the company challenges. we got opportunities and we got challenges and very open and, and honest, I think, in sharing that information so that we're also kind of sourcing 
the best engagement, the best ideas, the best strategy to continue to do well. I think we're just really focused on acting in the best interest of our customers and voicing our opinion, even when it's uncomfortable to do so. We talk about committing to a decision once it's made as well. So it's kind of like, this is where if you trust someone, it's okay to disagree, but also as a group, we're after a collective result. We're not after building our own political silo or personal resume or agenda. Like we want the company to win. We want the customer to win. And that's the true norm, essentially, and how we try and operate with trust. So there's four others that I can describe, but I'm just giving you that as a high level. Awesome. So you speak very well about all the things that you're doing that are working well for your organization. But, you know, right now with the economic downturn, layoffs being more in the news recently, and even with some of your experience, you were part of that tech bubble that burst very Mm -hmm. early in this century. And you were part of the Great Recession, as most of us were in this working world. Now we're going through something, it seems like every 10 years. Plus we had COVID, something that we haven't seen in about a hundred years, right? Plus all the social challenges, right? You know, the other thing is a lot going on in 2020, right? COVID hits, the whole George Floyd incident. It's like, man, there's just so much people dealing with Zoom and mental fatigue. You know, like just dealing with, my kids are all over me at home. I don't have a good work set up. I'm on Zoom all day, every day. I don't have that, Mm -hmm. that physical interaction with people. Like, wow, like talk about the mental challenge that has hit the workforce just in the last two, three years. It's just one thing on top of another that I'm amazed at the strength of, of folks that kind of carry on businesses to still be successful in this. It's been definitely a unique point in, in time. Definitely a unique point. So how have you and the senior leadership gone through those things? Like even with mm-hmm. hybrid work, some yep. organizations like Spotify were like, you can work from anywhere forever. We're never mm-hmm. going to call you back to the office. And then we know some, yeah. mostly the financial services are like, everyone needs to be back five days a week supporting local communities, supporting the business community. Yeah. You went middle of the road, hybrid. How do you go about yeah. implementing that? To answer your question directly on how we got through it, or how we managed it, or how we've been successful in this. And we talked a little bit about it when I described the huddle and the rollout and things like that. I think it's as simple as just having a conversation with people, right? A very transparent, very humble conversation. We have a great DEI advisor named Shawnee Hawkins, who's a professor and NYU and a consultant with other businesses, just getting the right conversation points. I mean, you got to speak from the heart, you got to be humble and just call it out, you know, like recognizing that people are stressed out. Like they, I'll never forget when COVID hit, people are forced to go work from home and somebody came up to me in the office saying, oh my God, like their kids are all over them because the, the schools are shut down and they're trying to have a conversation with the client. I'm like, put the kid up to the camera and tell them to say hi. Like we're all, you know, <laughs> dealing with this. Like, just having that real conversation with, with folks. I get emotional sometimes. They're like reflecting back on memories of everything we went through. But like just being empathetic, I guess, to everything that was going on and like just being real with people. And again, having that direct, that huddle format where every week we can honestly just talk about like real issues and like, get through it together. Really help. You can leave this part out. No, I think part. we should yeah. leave it in because I think what you speak mostly to is connectivity. And yeah. I think that also speaks to what you're saying about like, why didn't we do this before? Because we thought we were connecting, but mm-hmm. really it was the environment that was connecting yeah. us because we were just in person. And mm-hmm. now we had to recreate that connectivity again without just the happenstance of I'm happy on my way to go grab lunch or in that yeah. meeting. And you've done that mm-hmm. successfully. And mm-hmm. so much so that you're like, we would never go back to not being able to get all of our team members on a Zoom call or have yeah. it available for them to contact. 
So there are some silver linings that came out of a really, really tough time that we're still technically going through. So I think I would say on top of all that stuff, I had this incredible opportunity to sit down with Trevor Noah for an hour this summer during our IBX Mm -hmm. event. And one thing that he brought up during our conversation really stood out to me. And he talked about, he said it better than me, but I'll say now, but what he was describing was, he says, the world has gotten better, but because of our unique access to information now, we're more aware of all the bad things in the world. So Mm -hmm. the world's gotten better, but our awareness or access to information, the bad things in the world, seems like things have gotten a lot worse. And, you know, you put that on top of everything else that we just talked about in terms of it's kind of the global challenges over the last two, three years, there, people are dealing with a lot of stuff and you got to find a way, employers bear this responsibility. You got to cut through, connect with people on a human level, have a real conversation with them. Managers, especially over Zoom, it's like we've all changed our approach to work where we're just jumping from one meeting to the next and we're not taking a second to not just ask how you're doing and check the box and move on. Now, tell me like how you doing, you know? Mm-hmm. And even though it's remote in a lot of cases now, you know, you still got to find ways to connect. This, our culture, I would describe it as it's a hybrid, flexible work environment. Like I'm a huge fan of in-person interactions. I don't think any company's going back to all day, every day in the office, but I'm a huge fan of regular gatherings, right? So for people who are remote, remote, like not with a community distance to one of our locations, they still got to get together, I think, with their colleagues a couple times a year, at least. And I think that does so much to build relationships, find that connection, so that when you are back on Zoom, there's a deeper connection there, right? Mm-hmm. You know, just kind of answer, trying to answer your question about how you operate in this in environment. I think those are one of many things that I think employers you know, have to recognize. Just talk with people on a human level, be humble, don't be afraid of the conversation. And that's where your team of advisors, like get a group. Like you know, if it's just me trying to figure out like the deep issues and how to talk about, like it's not going to come out right. So surrounding yourself with kind of a work group or a committee sounds structure, but like the right people to like, just really talk through things so that when you're having a conversation with your employees, now this is more for senior people, CEOs, other senior leaders of the company, like be informed, like train yourself. Like for me, it seemed natural just to like get an advisor like Shawnee's, you know, we've got great people on our people team in different offices and just like, how do we talk about this with people? Like, this is like a real issue. Like let's kind of straw man out, structure some of the real issues here. What's our position on that? We're not trying to be politicians or anything, but we are trying to be relatable to our employees and and be open and empathetic to the challenges that they're dealing with. And there are many and just show support and really encourage them that I was one saying, guys, this is a weekly huddle comment that I remember earlier. You have to just block your calendar. I know you want, you feel like you got to be in every meeting, but I'm telling you right now, because I do this every lunch, I'm blocked from 12 to one. I'm going running, get yourself out of the house, Mm -hmm. get some sunshine, get some exercise, stop worried about being in every single meeting. You're burning yourself out. So it takes leadership to step forward like that. Put your kid in front of the camera, block the calendar, go work out, <laughs> you know, just empathize with this stuff and give them the encouragement to take control of things like that. Anyway, it's been good for us, I think. It sounds like you have a bragworthy culture. So as we wind down, one of the things that I like to ask all guests is knowing all that you know now, based on your military experience, being in the tech world in topsy-turvy times and really robust times. What's one thing that you know today that you wish you could have told yourself when you started as CEO six years ago? I'd say different from some of the softer things that we talked about in this conversation, just from a business strategy standpoint, just focus. Like when I joined 
we essentially had three major product lines or business units, whatever you'd want to call them. And we kept that going for a while. But had we focused from day one on just this one, that maybe it wasn't apparent at the time. Well, hindsight's always 2020, that's the advantage of it. But you know, as quickly as you can focus on the one thing that can break out and be that incredible business for you, I think is the best strategy. Sometimes it's not as obvious as it is now with that hindsight, but you know, we had three major initiatives going, almost three companies going, and there's one clear dominant strategy for the company that is that core business. So I remember talking to investors back then, and it's kind of like, you know, the response is you're pretty diversified, you know, a lot of focus in these different areas. So I think just focusing on where you think that blue ocean opportunity is and aim all guns in that direction and just go for it. You know, I think there's a good strategy. It's not just at impact.com at two other businesses was the same thing. You know, I remember at this company, Gigia, we were focused on all these different platforms and who we're integrated with. And there is a competitor that just focused on one platform integration that wound up being kind of a winning strategy. And so that's kind of the first thing that comes to mind off the top of my head. Focus, business strategy, focus. focus. Go to market focus, product focus. And maybe that's the word for 2023. (laughs) So you are also, I don't want to miss out on this. You also became a published author this year. So tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit about the book because it does really support the work that impact.com does. But tell people why the messaging, why now, Mm -hmm. um, and how they can learn more, not just about the business, but about your thoughts around it too. Yeah, so the book is titled The Partnership Economy. It's two years in the making. It was actually a relatively easy book to write. And the reason I say that is we were mostly researching and having conversations with some of our top and most innovative customers, to be honest. So we talk about Walmart and Fanatics and all these great innovative brands and how their businesses were evolving and transforming through partnerships, the way they were integrating with other businesses, how they're getting referrals. So the partnership economy is a new channel. It is a new category. It's not like advertising. It's not like marketing. It's not like sales. It is a third major category for revenue growth for businesses. And the reason for that is, and I know we're kind of running out of time, but you you look at the world of advertising, you go back 100 years when radio first started in that same year TV started, it was all about programming and advertisers that control this narrative. And they're just kind of interrupting and disrupting the content experience with their message, heavily controlled message, right? Perfectly designed image, whether it's a video or a photo of what their product should look like, but wasn't always reality. And that's how we've been trained as a society for the last hundred years is advertiser control the narrative. And this is perfect world since social media started, especially I'm talking about YouTube then Instagram, now TikTok, Pinterest and others. There's been a shift in power, right? Advertisers no longer control the narrative about themselves, right? Mm. We've got this whole economy around commercial information. We call it commerce content. There's information that's being published by small and large creators on these social platforms. Other businesses are giving reviews. Major publishers like New York Times has Wirecutter. CNN's got CNN underscore. You got major publishers like Better Homes and Garden, part of the Meredith Group blown like shopping sections within the publications that are talking about products. And so the shift in power is advertisers in the world of advertising can make people aware that their product exists or a product in this category exists. But where decisions now are being made is with all the research that people are doing about products. So, okay, I heard about something. What do you do now? Like I do this and maybe I'm just emphasizing one, but I don't think so. I jump on YouTube and don't laugh, but like, I know I'll tell you my kids are 23 and 21, but I saw this ad for this little astronaut thing that shines a galaxy light on your ceiling. 
I thought that might be a cool little gift to get one of my daughters. The first thing I did was I go on YouTube and I said, a little astronaut light projector. And sure enough, mm-hmm. there's a guy who's unboxing this thing. He's moving his arms. He's talking about the quality of the light. And he has a link in his description to maybe get a discount or just a code, right? Kind of supports his channel. So that guy would be considered a partner, a creator, an influencer that might have mm-hmm. a partnership with projector light company. That's what we're talking about. That's not an ad. It's very native. It's very authentic. Those creators and those businesses and publishers have a relationship with their audience. So they care about the quality. They're kind of that trusted advisor to the person who's shopping for something. So anyway, that's what the book is about is uncovering all that and teaching businesses how to be more relevant with customers today. Stop interrupting and jamming ads in front of their face. Nobody is responding to that anymore. Find a way to weave yourself into this commercial information that's being published in mass now and take advantage of that as a new category for business. All right. Well, I hope people pick up a copy after listening to this episode. But Dave, if anybody wanted to reach out to learn more about you, your book, your podcast, or impact.com, what's the best way for them to reach you? I'm on LinkedIn. Easy to find on LinkedIn, impact.com. Dave at impact.com as well. Pretty easy to get in touch, but would love to continue the conversation. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. Really, it's been so insightful to learn more. Hopefully, you'll come back one day onto the podcast. Thanks so much, Cassandra. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Fringe, the number one employee lifestyle and fringe benefits platform. With Fringe, you can empower employees with lifestyle benefits that can be personalized to reduce stress, give back time, and spark joy. Fringe, benefits for life. Contact us and find out more at fringe.us.